Welcome back to Cloud and Fire. This is season two, episode one. This season on Cloud and Fire, we are exploring the theme, peace be with you. How do we find God's peace always, wherever we may be? I'm your host, Jamie Crumley. On today's episode, we will discuss how to find peace in terms of our mental health. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation for today. Today, I'm going to start with a reflection, and this reflection comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 24, and I will be reading verses 15 through 27 in your hearing. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty and deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, And when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared, was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. Friends, our guest today is the Reverend Dr. Meg Hess, who received her MDiv and DMEN degrees from Andover Newton. Ordained by the ABC USA, Meg served the pastorates, settled and interim in Massachusetts and New Hampshire for nearly 25 years. Her most recent interim pastorate was at the Old Cambridge Baptist Church, which is located in Harvard Square. Adjunct faculty preaching at ANTS for over 30 years, Meg also received a certificate in homiletic peer coaching from the Vanderbilt Divinity School. Dr. Hess is a New Hampshire licensed pastoral psychotherapist with a practice in Nashua, New Hampshire, a professional certified coach with the International Coach Federation, and a certified narrative coach. Meg serves on the faculties of leadership and ministry workshops for the Mindfulness Coaching School. Meg is married to Peter Lacey and their daughter, Keziah, is a student at Appalachian State University, which is in Boone, North Carolina. Meg loves to bake. King Arthur Flower in Norwich, Vermont is her happy place. And her family suspects that she loves their dogs, Spotty and Fergus, more than them. And the dogs also agree. (laughs) I love this bio, and I'm so grateful to be in conversation with you today, Meg. So thank you so much, and welcome to 
the Cloud and Fire podcast. Thank you, Jamie. I appreciate the invitation. And we should point out for those who cannot see us that Fergus is right behind me participating in our podcast. So it's a good thing. He's an important and valued guest. He is. (laughs) (laughs) So Meg, there are so many reasons why I wanted to have you on the podcast today, but Perhaps the foremost among them all is the reality of this past 14 or 15 months, which have been so traumatizing for so many people in big and small ways. As a nation, we are continuing, despite our signs of hope, we are continuing to figure out what it means to live in a new normal with the COVID-19 pandemic. And so I want to talk to you, especially today, as somebody who is licensed and knows about providing therapy and counseling and how we can walk together even through times of trauma. So in the passage of scripture that I read earlier, which I'm sure is familiar to a lot of people who perhaps have been in church, um, especially during the Easter season, um, we see Jesus talking to those who, the scripture literally says they look sad. Uh, They are not able to navigate all the trauma of the past several days. And so as you hear these words of scripture, which I'm sure are familiar to you as a pastor, I'm sure you've preached them on many occasions. What comes to mind as you hear these words? Oh, I, this is my absolute favorite scripture passage. So I was so excited when you picked this one. One of the first things that comes to mind is that the disciples are just getting out of Jerusalem. They just want to be anywhere but in that painful place. And so they're just, they're just taken off. They're, you might say they're escaping or fleeing or just going back to what they think is going to be life as usual. And we know it's not going to be. So that's one of the things that comes to mind. And then the second thing that I love so much about this passage is when Jesus encounters these disciples, he uh, is curious about what they're talking about. And they just look at him like he's nuts. It's like, what do you mean? What, what, you don't know what's happening. And he, he just, he says, what things? And Jesus knows the answer to that question, right? Cause he was at the center of everything that happened in Jerusalem, but he doesn't assume that he knows what their experience of that was. And so he asked them to tell him their story, their experience. And um, that, for me, sums up a lot of what I do as a therapist. I can make assumptions about what people are going through or what their experiences have been like, especially around trauma, but I don't really know until they tell me what it is like for them. So I just, I see that as an invitation from Jesus or a modeling of Jesus to to really show us what it means to be present to each other, to listen to each other, to honor other people's stories and other people's experience. So those those are the two things that just sort of grab my attention from that passage. I completely agree. I'm thinking back to the passage where Jesus encounters his friend Mary in the garden in his resurrected form. And we had an episode on this with my friend and colleague, Reverend Miriam Samuelson Roberts, who serves at a congregation in Minneapolis. And what I'll say as, as you and I are recording this, because we're recording this in April, Minneapolis is a place that's really reeling from lots of racial tension. So at the time that she and I recorded, it was before Derek Chauvin was on trial, but of course, in the midst of Minneapolis trying to make sense of what's going on. 
Um, as you and I are recording, Derek Chauvin is on trial, and we know that another young Black man has been killed in Minneapolis, and Minneapolis is trying to figure out what that means. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm also thinking about, you know, incarcerated Black and trans women, um, especially in Minneapolis, and the experiences that they've had. And I'm pairing the, those experiences of, of race and the many traumas <laughs> that we all have encountered in 2020 and 2021. I'm And I I really appreciate what you're saying here, because I think it's easy for me as somebody who's not trained in therapy. I get very frustrated with Jesus. Jesus shows up and says things like, woman, what are you crying for? (laughs) And then Jesus says to these people walking down the street, looking sad, what things, what happened? And then at the end of the passage, he says, you all are foolish. (laughs) Jesus says a lot of things that really frustrate me. And I'm like, how is this therapeutic? And I think you're pointing us toward the reality that we should not assume when someone says I'm having a hard day, that we can't really assume that we know what that is. And I think this passage is calling us to be better listeners. Mm, Absolutely. And I, I totally agree with that. And I would say that Jesus, one of the other things he does with these people is he reframes things. He's able to say, okay, this is what scripture says, and this is how you are thinking about it. Maybe there's another way to look at this. Maybe there's a way that we can have a different perspective or, um, come up with some new eyes for seeing things or seeing the truth in the way that we've not seen before. So yes, I think the the listening, better listening, and also inviting people to to think differently or to take on um, different lenses to look at things. So expanding the possibilities in in that conversation. That's, I think that's a part of the therapeutic process as well. You're telling us to do something that I think is really important. And the question is, how do we do it? What practical tools do you think you can provide us about, first of all, how to be better listeners, but second of all, how to hear things differently, especially for those who, for example, like I said, we preach this this same scripture pretty much every year right after Easter uh, or a related scripture to it. Mm-hmm. How can we hear these words anew? It's a great question. Well, so I'm going to answer that first as a preacher. And I think one of the ways that we can hear it new is to have an experience of entering into the story um, and pretending like we've never heard it before. And going through the narrative, the characters, the feelings, the emotions, the, the, uh, the physicality of it. I mean, these people are walking. There's some, there's movement in this passage. So there's something about entering into the passage and really um, sitting with it. So this might be a, a practice for Lexio Divina, where you read the passage two or three or four times, and you just look for that word or the phrase that shimmers or speaks to you. And then that becomes part of your spiritual practice. You just dig into that one thing. Um, so I think that's 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 my preacher's answer uh, about how we can hear it in a new way. And I guess maybe another way is to dig into those questions that you answered. You know, what, what does it look like to listen more effectively? What, what does it look like to set our assumptions aside when we're listening to someone? 
and really invite them to share their experience. So that could look like asking open-ended questions. That could look like just saying, this sounds like this is a, real, a really difficult experience. I'm, I am so sorry to hear this happen to you. Can you tell me about what this has been like for you? Um, just beginning to sort of create that space. And, and as you know, one of the other really super important listening skills is managing your own stuff while you're listening. So you might have your opinions, you might have your beliefs, you might have your reactivity, but you're trying to sort of settle that down and not think about what you're going to say next, but really listen to, to what the person is saying and being open and curious. One of my favorite phrases from narrative coaching is speak only when you can improve on silence which is kind of an interesting way to think about that's how you listen. You just keep listening. Speak only when you can improve on silence. That is really, I think, especially for preachers. <laughs> that's, a, that's a challenge. <laughs> we all think we can improve on silence, right, preachers? Right. For preachers, for teachers, for so many people who are in the kind of line of work where you are expected to have something to say to allow the silence to speak for itself is perhaps one of the most powerful lessons that we can learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. And I think a lot of people struggle with that thing about what, what are that we're supposed, the expectation that we're supposed to say something, we're supposed to say something that makes the person feel better or make them feel heard or you know, fill in the blank. And this is where people struggle they say, well, what do I say when someone comes to me who's grieving or someone who's been traumatized or um, is suffering in some way? We can get hooked up into an understanding of empathy and, and we get, I think we can confuse uh, empathy with other things. And we think that what's required of us is to give advice or to solve the problem, come up with a solution, fix it, make the person feel better. But empathy really is about finding that way that we can connect with that other person through the shared experience of human feelings. That's, that's it. And but we have all these narratives in our head about, well, if I was a good Christian or if I was a good friend, if I was a good listener, I would do X, Y, or Z. I would fix this or solve this. One of my favorite quotes that I think about a lot is from Parker Palmer. And he says, no fixing, no saving, no advising, and no setting each other straight. And that's especially difficult for clergy because we think we're, if, if we're not fixing or advising or, <laughs> or setting people straight, then we're, not, then we're not working, right? We're not doing our job. Right. So, yeah. But yeah, but stepping back and refraining from the, the urge to do that and listening, being present, bringing the gift of your, your full attention. I think that's great feedback for all of us, uh, regardless of profession, as we're coming out of this experience where we haven't been able to see each other. We haven't been able to do things like all the nonverbal signs that we even give people 
that we're listening, that we care, even just the gift of presence that we have so often with people that we literally have not been able to be present with people. So you have been, I guess, for the past more than a year now, I wonder how you have been doing your practice. Have you mostly been meeting with people in virtual space? And what does that look like? Yes, um, completely in virtual space. I'm doing my therapy work. I'm doing my coaching work and doing my teaching in virtual space. What has that looked like? Well, it has had its limits. Um, because as you say, there's so many nonverbal cues that we pick up on. And I, I even think, you know, when you're in the same room with people, your, your brains are, are doing stuff with each other through getting information that you just can't quite get across the airwaves. So that's, that's absent. I think the other side of that is that you were just sort of right there and there can be a certain amount of connection and intimacy that can happen even through the screen, because you're really just focused totally on each other. So, and I've also, I, you learn, I've learned how to compensate, I would say. If, I, if I'm not sure about, if I'm reading somebody's body language, right, I'll just, I'll just ask, you know, I, I noticed that you're nodding right now. Does that mean you're agreeing with me? What does that, what does that mean? Or I noticed as you're talking about this, that you you just sort of started hunching over and you're you're doing, you know, you're really covering yourself, protecting what what's going on with that. So just getting really curious about what I'm seeing in the in the somatic expressions, asking those kinds of questions. The other bonus, I think, of having um, virtual sessions is I hardly ever get any cancellations. People don't have to cancel because of the weather. They don't have to cancel because the car broke down because they can't get, I mean, people are showing up and that's, that's the, I think the advantage of, of working virtually. Okay. So I'm going to start with the last thing. So you all know, all of the listeners know that I, I do virtual ministry and was uh, brought on staff at um, First Baptist in Beverly to do virtual ministry. But as a person who lived in New England for eight years, I will say that is a huge benefit of virtual ministry. We never have to worry about snow days. If it is snowing, we will still see you at virtual church. Enjoy, yeah. sit, you know, sit with your family, cozy up, listen to the virtual church service, and you can come to fellowship after on Zoom. That is something that I think is a huge benefit because I think that, especially with things like therapy, spiritual communities, we need that all the time. And we sometimes especially need it during times when we're isolated because it's snowing outside or we're isolated because we have a cold or the flu or whatever the issue is that's preventing us from being able to physically go be together. Those are actually the times when we do need to have a sense of being together. So to me, that is one of the biggest benefits of the virtual space that you can always show up to virtual space and have that kind of connection that I think that we are so often seeking. Uh, So that's, that's, I love that. You've also kind of found that to be, be a benefit, um, not only for you, but also for the people that you're serving to go back to the, and I think it really relates to this passage also to go back to the, um, the experience of just having to be a bit more curious. And I think that's something that I hope that a lot of us will translate even when we do go back to being together in person, because I'll find this even as a, so I'm a newlywed 
I guess, right? Seven months is that a newlywed? Um, yeah. So okay. Years, I think. <laughs> oh, perfect. Okay. <laughs> so I'm a newlywed, and I'll find that I'm still learning so many things about him. We didn't live together before we were married, and there were certain things that he told me were his habits. And I'm now experiencing it as a critique of me. And he's like, I never critiqued you. And I say, well, staring at your computer when you come home, just blindly staring at the computer, not turning your head one way or the other. To me, that's a rejection of me. And he's like, no, this is what I've done for years when I come home. Like, this is what I, this is what I do. (laughs) So even things like being able to be curious enough to determine, okay, is body language turned looking at the computer? not looking at anything around you. Is that a sign of you hate your wife or is that a sign of just, this is the way I relax when I come home from work. (laughs) So I think being able to have that level of curiosity um, where we don't assume that we understand what the other person is doing, even for those of us who think that we have a lot of emotional intelligence, um, being able to still be curious about, okay, so when I see someone fold in like that, this is what it means to me. What does it mean? What does that body language mean to you? What are you expressing? Because uh, for example, sometimes someone will see me fold in like that. It's because I'm cold all the time. I might just be cold. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Especially when you're in New England. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. Um, the, the guideline of always checking out your assumptions is just so central. And the other piece of what you just said, good communication, you know, just talk to each other. And that's, that's one of the ways we begin to identify that we have these stories that we tell ourselves. So in a moment like that, you can say, the story that I'm telling myself (laughs) is that you don't love me because you come home and the first thing you want to do is like bond with your computer screen. So I just want to check that story out. So then you can find out whether whether it's true or not. So that's a part of communication and that's a part of relationship building and of being human. That we, um, my husband jokes with me, he said, sometimes I'll, I'll get irritated that he won't do something and he'll say, oh man, I forgot to turn my telepathy on this morning. <laughs> I'm like, yes, you did. You should have been able to read my mind about that. So. What's up with that? <laughs> yeah, it's just because we love someone deeply doesn't mean that they always know exactly what we want. And that's, I think, perhaps one of the most challenging parts of relationships. Why don't you know what I want right now? <laughs> right. So, and, and I think maybe, I might just be making a general guess, but I've heard so many people describe their experience of the pandemic as a time when they've been able to step back slow down, um, really take a look inside and be curious about their own inner life and find a way to talk about what they're feeling, to identify their feelings, and then to talk about what they need. I mean, that's, I think that's really hard for, for people is to um, ask for what they need. So that's, that's a piece of what I'm hearing people say that they're they're getting clearer about what it is they want and need and how and ways that they can ask for that in their lives. So I think I just have one more question for you, Meg. One thing that happens near the end of this passage, I'll just read it. Um, so the 
the their his Jesus's friends are sharing with him everything that they have experienced, and he says how foolish you are, how slow of heart. Um, to not be able to believe all the prophets had declared. And then beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all of the scriptures. And when I read that part, um, I I don't think I would tell someone how foolish you are, but (laughs) when I read that part, it reminds me of when I did clinical pastoral education. And one of the things that we learn in clinical pastoral education is to make sense of the way our own story is showing up and the way that we provide pastoral care, but also to help others to make sense of the disparate pieces of their lives. So if we have heart disease, for example, of course, that's a physical ailment, but we also need to think about all the stories that have brought us to the point where we are perhaps having struggles of the heart, right? And that's also a spiritual, theological, mental, emotional experience, not only a physical experience. And so I think my last question for you would be, how do we make sense of all of these things? I think that's what this passage is calling us to do. And I think that's what we are always called to do as people of faith to make sense of the many things, good and bad that have happened in our lives and try to tell some sort of story with it, try to make it something that can be healing and redemptive. Um, Do you have any ideas of how we as individuals might do that, but also how we can connect with others who perhaps can help us to do that work? That is such a great question. It is such a big question. Um, Trying to think where I would even, where would I even start? I would say, yeah, it is about trying to bring to awareness what what the story is. And I think as theologians or theological reflectors, we're offering people different perspectives and different ways to think about how they interpret that story. So we would invite people to interpret it through the lens of self-compassion, of grace. We might even ask questions that would help people to sort of connect the dots. I mean, I think that's part of what Jesus is doing here in in this passage. Um, Maybe the best way to see this is that grief is cumulative. It builds on itself and one one loss triggers all all of the other previous losses. And I just get the sense that that's the conversation they're having, that they're not just talking about what happened in in Jerusalem, but everything that led up to it, all of the the oppression that they're experiencing, um, the losses, the disappointments, it's just all, and Jesus is able to to take that whole narrative and say, "Let's, let's look at the whole story and then start asking questions like, where is God's redemptive activity at work in this in this narrative? And so you begin to identify maybe even those little moments when you think something redemptive or graceful is beginning to happen to change that story. That's so important. And I think I haven't really thought about it in that way until I read the Easter story this year after everything, after all of the compounded griefs of 2020. And I realized, wow, we all as humans can relate to feeling various kinds of trauma related to the COVID-19 pandemic. And yet that trauma has been different for all of us, depending on where we were living, depending on whether or not we had COVID, depending on race, gender, class, 
um, whether we had children, whether we didn't have children, whether we had to move somewhere, like there, there are so many, and not to mention the reality that just because there was COVID doesn't mean that other aspects of life didn't go on. We all still had so many other things, go, like life did keep moving despite the fact that there was a pandemic and we can feel perhaps good and bad ways about that, right? Like the expectation that people still show up to their jobs and work 40, 50 hours a week. Okay, perhaps that didn't need to happen. But then there were also a lot of beautiful things that happened in our lives, despite the fact that there was a pandemic. So it's so much that <laughs> we have to make sense of. And perhaps we could probably write books and articles on that subject of how we can, like, what is the story that we can piece together? What is the story of hope? What is the good news? And I suspect we will be writing those books and articles and maybe you will be writing one of those books and articles. <laughs> Challenge you. But absolutely. And, you know, one of the, um, one of my favorite uh, forms of, of therapy and coaching is narrative therapy or narrative coaching. And that's when you're trying to identify what the narratives are. And then you start asking for, um, how would you re-edit that story? And mm. how would you discover alternative narratives? And I think that's the theological task is like, where, where is there an alternative narrative to the narrative of suffering and despair and um, death. What, right. what are the alternative narratives? Where do you see life? Where do you see grace? Where can you express gratitude? Where can you see that God's redemptive activity is always at work, even in the midst of the worst circumstances? Um, and yeah, I do assume, as you were saying, that er everybody that I've met this past year, in one way or the other, I assume everybody is experiencing trauma to one degree or another and to make space for people to, um, to be held in compassion with that, with that reality. Um, so we can really offer something in terms of a space where people can compassionately find that new narrative and, find, and name their strengths and find the presence of God in the, mm -hmm. midst, in the midst of the suffering. Well, amen. And so can you tell our listeners where they can find out more about you and your work online? Yes. Um, my website is Meg, um, is, is www.makegladness.com. And my email address is Meg at makegladness.com. And that story, we have one more little minute mm -hmm. that I can the, where that phrase comes from, make gladness, it's a, a story about St. Bridget. And uh, the story is that she hears the earth crying and wailing and weeping. No one is paying attention. And she says, I have heard the earth weeping because it has dreamed of beauty. And I will go to the earth where there's great suffering. And I will make gladness in the abyss. And she goes and she throws her cloak down and wherever it touches, it turns to green and beauty. And it's essentially um, a creation narrative about Ireland because she's an Irish saint. Uh -huh. But that, that um, make, making gladness in the abyss, I think, is uh, what we do as people of hope and people of faith. That is beautiful and, and always relatable, that there's always some sort of sorrow or sadness somewhere and I think you're right. And that story <laughs> is right, that we can go and we can make gladness uh, wherever we are. We can create 
we can create other worlds and other possibilities wherever we are. I think that's such a beautiful message. Yeah, thank you. So listeners, today our guest has been the Reverend Dr. Meg Hess. Thank you so much for being on this episode of Cloud and Fire. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cloud and Fire. Cloud and Fire is a production of First Baptist Church in Beverly, Massachusetts. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cloud and Fire Pod. Remember to subscribe to our podcast. And if you like what you heard today, please remember to share it with someone who you love. Our theme music is by the talented Rebecca Silva. Thank you to her for letting us use it. Until next time, be well and get home safely.